Thanks for tuning into Power Athlete Radio. When Coach Mike Hill of Georgetown University came to work at the home of the Hoyas, the weight room was on the second floor of a random building. No drop rules and simplistic equipment was never perceived as a detriment, though. It was actually a point of pride, indicating that the success of the athletes was really a testament to the coaching and not the technology. Cut to 12 years later, and Mike is still finding ways to use the scientific method in his coaching. As a former mentor to a very young Texas McQuilkin, Mike speaks to the qualities he looks for in his staff. Nonconformism is encouraged, boots and jeans optional. Mike is clearly passionate about connecting with his athletes, but he's also quite the curious cat. Hear how he's applying information construct theories to his own coaching philosophy. Yeah, it gets a little bit weird, but you know what? I fucking loved it. Here it is, episode 312. Power athlete, Nashon. Nashon. It's the French way to say nation. Nashon. Uh-huh. How, how do you say what's up in French? Vaz up. <laughs> <laughs> no? <laughs> how you doing, listeners? This is Luke. And giggling over there is Tex. Uh, what were we calling you this morning? Uh, I, I don't know. Rackbull 495. That no, it was something about, like, it, I think it was, it started with an M. We were calling you something McQuilkin. What did it have to do with? Was it mediocre McQuilkin? We've used that one. <laughs> oh, my God. Was it Mosey and McQuilkin? Well, on my blog. What's the name of my blog? <laughs> <laughs> it's a long con. It's a long con. You are listening to the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. Ding. Ing. Where's the third ing? I don't know. <laughs> we didn't. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, John Wellborn in the other room. We're going to talk shit on him now. What we do have to talk about is, as you know, John is six foot five, close to 300 pounds. And as we were doing rack pulls this morning, I do have to let you all know that. Uh, oh, my God. He, had he to gave build us. Up. He oh. Had, he had built up for a little 550 while I pulled 550 for three. No problem. No straps. And he. Okay. I wore you straps. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk about. Lying tells at the very tail end of this podcast, uh-huh. and Luke just gave like seven. But uh, <laughs> John gave us some sound sage advice that he received from Danny DeVito, uh, probably twenty years ago. I don't know, back yeah. in the playing days. Yeah, so fifteen years. Fifteen years ago in L.A. So John Wellborn, I'm going to tell a John Wellborn story. I'm John now, Wellborn. Now that he's not here, mm-hmm. uh, John Wellborn is is partying it up with his teammates in L.A. And in walks Danny DeVito, who's all of five foot two with the six one blonde bombshell. Looks John right in the eye as he walks past him and he says, Man, not everyone's tall, but everyone can climb. That's right, short power athletes like Tex. <laughs> if Danny DeVito can do it, so can you. Right? Is that the moral of the story? Uh no, I think he was keep foreshadowing for what you can do with Johnny Bod. Not all of you can be tall, but damn it, you can get jacked. Have you ever wanted to hang from a stalactite? <laughs> which one's from? Which one's the ceiling? There's stalactite and stalagmite, isn't it? I don't know. I don't know. Keep going. Like Sylvester Stallone in Cliffhanger, I do believe there's a scene where he takes his gloves off and he's hanging on to an, a giant icicle with one hand, holding on to another person with the other hand. If you have, have I got the program for you. Ladies and gentlemen... 
It is beach body season. If you're looking for buns and guns and abs that just won't quit, well, I got the solution for you. We're in like the fucking one, two, three, four, fifth month of Johnny Bod. Right? Right. Is that correct, Tex? That is correct. Thank you. Johnny Bod is a stackable program. We call it stackable. It means it goes right on top of whatever program you're following. If you're following Johnny Wad, it's tailored for that. However, Field Strongers, Jack Streeters are getting it for extra arm buns and guns work. And calves. Calves. Oh, yes. Yes. For those who need it. <clears throat> are you kidding me? Let's go back to the Deuce video, man. I believe I took you at 405 for a 1RM calf raise. No. Go back to the film. They, I got no repped when it's clear. Me and the Saints were upset about the, the replay crew on mm-hmm. these competitions. But continue the joke. Yes, there is no joke, ladies and gentlemen. This is nothing but business and nothing but seriousness. Head over to johnnywad.com. You get all the info you could ever want for Johnny Bod. We're going to throw tons of arm work at you, calf work, ab work, bun work, and uh, 15 to 20 minutes, finish your work, any program and we get you jacked people are loving it it's awesome to see people posting on, on social it's great it's the best part i mean the the great the amount of curls that john wellborn has invented the wellborn curl the wellborn curl two the wellborn curl three and what's the one Callie does <laughs> banded preacher curls oh the preacher curl with the band preacher banded curl one. Oh, stalactite curl two those were banned in our gym stalagmite I don't think that's the right fucking words for those things. It doesn't matter. You got to say it with confidence. As we'll learn later in the podcast. You heard it here first. None of this matters. You can tune out now or stay tuned because now we're going to get into some actually uh, some thought provoking oh, yeah. chatter on um, one of Texas former mentors. Oh yeah, and, yeah, and gave current, me, I guess. Yeah, man. Still, still love to catch up and yeah. gave me my first opportunity to coach at a very high level and transition from the depths of the D three sport. I'm kidding. I love it. Um, into some athletes mm-hmm. that uh, had a lot of line scholarship gotta yeah. compete a lot to learn here people um let's just jump into it ladies yep. and gentlemen before you do go to johnny johnnywad.com sign up for johnny Bot. blast those arms buns it's beach body season now let's go mike hill ready break, break. <laughs> mike hey man what's going on what's going on mike check mike hill check mike hill check get it check Ah, you don't get it. All right, let's let's roll right into it, Mike. So, man. you and I, we've man, seven, eight years. It's been a long time, a long road. As I say on my blog, <laughs> talk to me, Johnny. <laughs> yeah, it, man, it is. It's been a, a long, strange journey. I'm sure that's a quote from somewhere, man. Greatly appreciate <laughs> the the friendship, and I still get up every Christmas to hang out with my sister, and I always make one pit stop up to Georgetown U, man. So. Tell us about your journey to this point. I know it has been a long road. And, uh, man, we'll just roll right into the conversation. Well, yeah, I guess there's uh, two ways I can go with this. I could either give you the chunk, uh, Goonies version, where back in third grade, or I could give you the uh, Spaceball short, short uh, wedding version of this. Um, But I guess going back, I was, you know, from Fort Dodge, Iowa, so in the middle of absolutely nowhere. And I grew up and training was always like a constant for me. So with that, it was, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't the best at athlete at being an athlete. Um, but I always trained really hard. I was always into it. It was something that was always there for me. 
um, you know, I, I, I wasn't the best at, at uh, like I say, being an athlete, being at different sports, at baseball, football, basketball, boxing. I grew up on a lake, so I uh, wakeboarded. I was a skier, you know, went um, mountain biking, uh, snowboarding, uh, dabbed a little bit in martial arts. But I wasn't really great at any, any of that. But I could compete and do it. Um, and so the training was always one constant. So when my college or high school career came and went, my college career came and went, I moved out to California. Um, out in California, I worked uh, for 24 hour fitness, kind of working out the kinks, you know, becoming a personal trainer, which actually in the long run really helped me. Uh, and it was, you know, looking back, I worked out some of the knowledge and things that I was getting. And, and, and it was like, uh, you know, you know, baking those cookies and trying to taste them out and see at a lower level. Um, meanwhile, my cousin and a friend uh, worked at the Oakland Raiders. So I kind of had an in with that and I knew I wanted to do just like everybody else, or I thought high level athletes. Right. Um, so I had an in with the Oakland Raiders and luck turns out the assistant strength coach there went to Northern Iowa where I went to school. And so he met with me and kind of had like that simple, steadfast aha moment of, Hey Mike, you think you want to do this? This is actually really what it is. Boom, boom, boom. And his name was Chris Pearson from the Oakland Raiders. And uh, that was kind of the moment where I just took it like, I really have no idea what I'm doing. I don't know. I think I, sh I think I know all of this, but I just got a reality check from someone who's there. And, you know, I was prepared for that meeting. I was prepared to go in. I showed up early. I, you know, I did my due diligence. I set myself up. And from there, you know, I still talk to Chris. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it, it's a path where I just, I kind of, uh, I, I shouldn't say, I kind of hashed out on my own, really. There wasn't any other person besides that person that uh, brought me on this path to Georgetown University. So basically setting myself up, I uh, printed off a list of every, every D1 college in, uh, in, in uh, the nation, and I highlighted, you know, where could I go? Where could I live? Where could I pick up this Mike Hill brand and set it somewhere else? Um, and so with that, I basically plugged everybody into my flip phone, and uh, Augie Morelli called me early in the morning. I woke up, boom. He said, hey, Mike, do you want the job or not? And I took that opportunity to get in my car and drive across country and just pack up shop. Um, with that is, you know, it took, it took a lot of, it took a lot of time before that would happen before that, uh, conversation would happen. But, and it was a lot of sleep, sleepless nights, you know, studying, working, you know, uh, grinding, doing the personal training thing, calling people, uh, back in the day, shoot, I even send letters. I even sent letters and that was back, shoot, not too long ago, 2001. Um, but yeah, I guess that's the uh, kind of the, the, the in-between of the chunk version of my third grade and, you know, the uh, short, short version. Uh, but getting here in 2004 was that guy, Augie Morelli, who gave me that chance, who took the t-shirt off his back, who called me out of the blue and didn't know me just from my, just knew me from my resume and the conversation that we had was that's what I'm trying to give back almost every day. Whereas that's how it introduced me to Chris. Um, that's what, uh, you know, other people with who's Dave Terry, who is here. Um, and still people who email me, 
you know, to, to this day, I'll, I'll email you back. I'll call you. If you want to show up, if you want to learn from me, I'm not going to turn you away. That's not who I am. And that's, and, it, and if it, if Augie was not like that, I wouldn't be here and neither would Chris, you know, and neither would Dave. So it's a kind of a long version of that. No, appreciate, appreciate you recapping it, man. You know, it's common thread with a lot of folks we have on just the humble beginnings, right? And yes. whether it's slang and personal training to a bunch of donkeys at a 24 hour fitness. <laughs> I don't know why I got kicked out of that one, but like, you know, I think people take for granted the reps, right. And, and what, what each repetition, even if it doesn't seem valuable to you, um, what that compiles over time, right. In terms of your ability yeah. to refine your skill set, And as you said, it Mike, the Mike Hill brand and, that's a great way to put it and, and reflecting it to our, you know, bringing coaches up to speed on the seminar. Like there was that element of, okay, so first you start with kind of these cookie cutter approaches, but at the end of the day, uh, you're gonna have to develop your own brand, your own voice, your own approach. Right. And that, that lends towards the authenticity that I think that athletes and clients can pull out of their coach. And if you, if you can't do that, I think that it just makes it harder for you to make that connection. Absolutely. I, and I think, you know, knowing everybody nowadays reads all the books, they think they know everything, but in, when it comes down to actually implementing it person to person wearing different hats, that's why I say like that personal training gig that really helped me hash out my own interpersonal skills because here as Texnos being here at Georgetown, there's 29 sports here. So you got to treat the sailing team a little bit different than the crew team, a little bit different than the football team, a little bit different than, you know, a uh, 82 year old, uh, a person compared to a 22 year old when you're personal training. So that spectrum of that, uh, you know, theory and practice, there was structure in the middle that helped me learn uh, what I use now really every day. And, and it's really, honestly, I get more and more away from programming and, and more and more into relationships. It's how you connect, what connects you to those kids, what connects you to that personal training client, that one person to person, you know, uh, and I going back, to that beginning, beginning rant of mine was, it, it was, you know, the kids, they want to come in, they want to train the Chicago Bulls, but first you have to learn to train that one kid. And in order to, in order to get that uh, football team to follow you, um, you have got to make a connection and make a connection with one person, then two people, then three people, and then 60 people. Um, I think strength coaches nowadays, they just want to come in and they want to climb the ladder and be, you know, the head strength coach of said football team. Um, a lot of the path, the journey, I mean, back in the old day, and we can say, right, 2004 is back in the old day in this industry. It's still um, moving fast, but there wasn't that formal university education. And now there is. So you have this fast track of specifically strength and conditioning so they almost get ahead of the knowledge, but where do they lack in that application of it, right? So it's almost yeah. the application serves you quicker, faster, and puts you in a position to learn the information, I mean, as it's relevant to each individual. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, when, when I, in, my, in that path, was the first uh, certification I got after graduating with health promotion, a minor in a coaching, minor in coaching was I graduated with a minor in coaching, but I didn't really know how to coach. I mean, that just was kind of showing you a few things and exposing you a few things 
was uh, my first was uh, NASM, uh, National Academy of Sports Medicine. That was my first training certification. Then the next one was coming from Chris Pearson was uh, the NSCA. So I got my NSCA cert. And I mean, I studied my face off for that. It was, that's what I mean, the sleepless nights going back, having my cousins quiz me who I lived with and whatnot. Um, and and uh, uh, then after that was reading an array of books, uh, you know, everything. And I've honestly, I've forgotten it, but you know, most of the stuff that, that I learned during that time period, because it wasn't useful to me at the time. Now I'm kind of retroactively going back and reading some of the stuff. Um, and uh, uh, I think... I think that's what's lost a little bit. I think, you know, kids, they just want the end goal and the outcome. And like Tech said, the application, they're not, they're not, uh, they don't, they don't see the, I shouldn't call it the grind. They don't see the grind um, of the daily, you know, strength coach, uh, um, you know, lifestyle. I've heard some stories, uh, Augie and uh, Fitz. Fitz was a coach when you first got there, man. So explain, explain that grind of what it used to be, right? 29 sports. And y'all had a small staff. So what were those early days like at, at G-Town? In that, what, what was the place on top of the hill? Yates? Yes. Oh. Well, when I first, so when I first came here, um, most people wouldn't know it unless you came to Georgetown. Um, but like what Coach Thompson and the Georgetown brand built with literally nothing is absolutely amazing. Uh, we had a weight room that existed on the second floor of the building next to me. I, I literally came in and said, you know, bro, where's the weight room? And I, they were like second floor. And I'm like, you have to be kidding me. Um, there was a no drop rule. Uh, you could only do anything. You could only do stuff overhead in one section. Um, and, uh, you know, the men's basketball weight room was down in a corner and it was split up into three different parts. So you're telling me that Allen Iverson, uh, Dikembe, Pat Ewing, I mean, Alonzo, all those greats lifted there, that place. Like, it is just amazing what, and what Coach Thompson says is Georgetown was built on good human resources, good application, you know, good, good coaching, good people. Um, but I guess coming on the second floor was I found out real quick, I got thrown to the wolves really again, where Augie was like, hey, you're here and he, he, you're ready to go. Are you ready to coach? Like I need a guy who's going to hit the ground running and basically threw me a whistle and uh, I was coaching football on that Sunday. I mean, he needed a break. He was just tired. He threw it to me and I got thrown to the wolves. And, I, you know, coming from a personal training setting into the collegiate setting and Georgetown, you know, football team, it's uh, okay. It's not the best, to be honest, but it, they, those kids train hard and they care. So you have to show that level of care to them so they can reciprocate it and work hard for you back to you. Right. So I come in and, you know, I, I that first day is just, frazzled you know i'm not the guy who's going to come in and set the tone and scream and yell at all these kids more or less the guy that's going to come in and be like a player's type coach a player's coach and uh talk to you like i said build the relationships so those days of being on the second floor and then we moved up to yates and we've been up there we were up there for 13 years literally until we got this facility two years ago so we didn't have the best of facilities. So those dog days of, you know, we, I mean, grinding up at 4 a.m., we'd be in here five, drinking coffee, getting all jacked up and giving each team our energy um, because that's what we had was, was, our, was, our hum, uh, was our time, was ourselves. There wasn't this flashy equipment um, that we were using. We didn't have any technology. Uh, um, 
You know, there wasn't, uh, uh, you know, the, the best flooring, the best sound quality in the room. I mean, we had a, literally a computer with a little aux cord that came out to these speakers on either side of the computer. And we just turned them and faced the, the weight room. And that's how we started. Um, and we would go team by team by team, 6 a.m., 7, 8, 9, 10, all the way up. And by 6 p.m., was crew team and crew team would get me at 6 p.m. And I would write, you know, I would literally be the whiteboard guy on the board and uh, just try and coach them up as honestly as best as I can. But I look back at that and, and, and uh, you know, I, I guess say in the grind, you know, that that presumes that you're hitting the guardrails going down the hill. But um, it, it, you know, it took every ounce of energy to get you uh, through that day, you know, you needed to make sure that you were eating properly, sleeping, hydrated, all that, because by the half the day, you'd be ruined. Um, but yeah, I guess also there was two, some kind of crazy stories where Augie made you lift. Like he's a Bill Starr guy. So he is a very heavy lifter. So he's like, if you do not do this, if you cannot show this or demonstrate this, then you're worthless to me. Um, and so he, put us real quick with Harrison and myself and, uh, and, you know, with Fitz over at Maryland, they put us through some, some gruesome workouts, you know, some buddy workouts. But so going back to that, those early grinding days, how, how big was the coaching crew? It was literally just me and another guy. So it's Augie. And then um, so and that's it. I was the first intern basically here. Going back there. And it sounds like it was just a little bit of like trial by fire out of necessity. Right. And just, For uh, sure triage really of a situation trying to direct a better coaching effort into the, the sports teams. But did you all have any sort of um, like review criteria, like a monitoring process of one another to, to continue to develop in or hone in, or was it kind of just off the cuff shoot from the hip, you know, Hey Mike, don't fucking do that again. <laughs> type deal. I mean, there's some simple rules. I mean, uh, you know, I, I shouldn't put this in stone. One, uh, was if you go to a bar, I mean, they were not Georgetown. They were not, uh, room specific. If you go to a bar and there's athletes in there, get the fuck out of there. Right. Fair enough. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, don't fucking touch the athletes. That was like number two. Um, but really honestly, put, Augie put trust in me and trust in the coaches where it's like, it's more of, I want to see if you have a good character, Mike. I want to see if you have a good character, Chris, uh, you know, good character and then programs. Okay. I get it. We can teach you that stuff. Um, the equipment that we had back then, you know, we were doing kind of a big three bill star lift. I mean, you know, uh, push pull major leg and you know, you're doing something explosive every day. You're doing some type of a, uh, a, uh, uh, squat or a deadlift or, and then you're definitely pulling. Um, and Augie was big and Bill Starr was big on high poles. It's big on, you know, the Hawaiian shrug, stuff like that. Um, we still benched, you know, benched and inclined and there was a structure to it. The numbers were all the same, you know, eights and threes, Bill Starr's eights and threes, sixes and fours, you know, fives and twos, eights and twos, six and threes, five and four. But, uh, it's, it, you know, it was more of getting the kids to buy in really. I mean, it didn't, honestly, it didn't really matter thing back that what type of program we had or what type of program we were implementing. It was more of just getting the kids, mo I hate the term motivated, but motivated and wanting to work for us. Um, but in terms of review criteria, no, there wasn't, there wasn't uh, anything specific. It was more, you know, the next coaches and the lineage that came down, it was, do we want to hang out with them? 
Um, do do are they like us? Do they will they if we go to a bar are they going to order beer or are they going to order water? I mean honestly, or like a spritzer. I mean, or spritzer, spritzers yeah. are inbounds, right? If you're a wine spritzer guy, no, asking, you are. I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> um, no, that's that's interesting, Mike, because I, I asked the, the most recent uh, coaches evaluation that we ran. One of the common themes was at least for the, and these are predominantly private sector, right? Is uh, Coaches wanted feedback, right? Mm-hmm. And it's, I think you, you just find yourself caught in the loop of continually working with these guys. And, and I guess that's what the reprieve of maybe some of the, the strength conferences, you know, NSCA conferences is to, to go and network and try to get some feedback and find out what other folks are doing and implement it and self-assess. But mm-hmm. it sounds like, man, there's not a lot of opportunity for like a peer evaluation, right? In an environment well, like that. Yeah, not back not back then. I think we had a good pretty good rapport and I know when I was working with Tolsman, Mike, man, he and he and I were not afraid to share what we observed during a weight room time. So I think that culture was was a part of Georgetown later on, maybe not in the beginning. But that also gets into exactly what you know Mike is talking about here is like you'll be more apt to give somebody feedback if you fucking like them and trust them, you know? Yeah. But at the end of the day, if you're like, I don't know about this guy with the wine spritzer, fuck this guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we, uh, you, you know, it was literally just Augie, myself, uh, Harrison Bernstein, who had left, who went to the Redskins. Um, we had a couple work study kids who were with us. And uh, then I had to build the internship program from there. Cause I was a first intern. So I was getting, that I guess first year here, I worked totally for free. Um, I would drive to Johns Hopkins. I was training there. I was training at Catholic University. I trained at three different high schools here in Virginia, but I was also personal training. And uh, then I ended up working at a bar Thursday, Friday, and Saturday nights. So it was around the clock for me. Um, and honestly, it made everything now easier because I can look back and, you know, knowing that I did all that. And then I ended up going to grad school here at Georgetown while doing, still doing all that stuff. Um, and Johns Hopkins, a Catholic pulled away, they hired their own person, but we had gotten those, uh, I guess, contracts through Augie's third party. But, um, yeah, the, the interns that we pulled in from us were like, uh, Sean Foster, who's now at, uh, American university, uh, Carl Johnson, who is at St. Stephen, St. Agnes, um, up to a college level intern and to John Shackleton, who's at Villanova. Uh, basketball. Um, and as well as, as, uh, Texas, Chris is bringing him in to help out and working part-time with us. And, uh, eventually now being, you know, one degree away from everything, everybody that I want to learn from, you know, so that's, uh, it's just having an open, open mindset an open door policy, and then organically kind of working in those volunteer coaches, but not turning anybody down. You know, not uh, not uh, shutting the door on anyone's face, not calling somebody back or emailing. I think that's what, you know, ultimately we ended up uh, building here at Georgetown. Yeah, man, one of the, I remember our first conversation, and I wrote about this in one of my um, articles, Power Coach articles, and it was uh, essentially the lesson taken away was ownership. And I'll never forget a quote. So when a team is yours, it's yours to lose. And so that was one of the most powerful things because I was a D3 sport coach and also managing a gym with Cali, and I just wanted more. Maybe it was wanting feedback, uh, but just wanted more skin in the game, more on the line, work with athletes that 
I thought wanted it more at the time, right? But um, just understanding that, and you laid that out pretty clear, that first conversation. I thought, man, it was, and I'll never forget it. So again, thanks for answering the email. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. That's, I guess I, that's, you know, thinking back to the the question you said about Augie's, Augie's rules, there was a lot of things he would just spit to me. And, uh, you know, one of them was, if I end up in a conversation about your team, I'm the head strength coach. So in a sense, he was really telling me, if I've got men's soccer, and I end up in a conversation about your actions and you and your team with the men's soccer coach, then I no longer need you in the middleman. You have to obviously take ownership of that really. Um, and that's, you know, we, and, and we've broken some eggs. We've definitely had some, some people who've come here and have, have failed um, at that, but also we've had some great, like Chris, I mean, you know, uh, had some great coaches come through and, I think that there's a lot of programs out there that don't do that enough, that don't give back. I mean, that don't help someone who wants to learn from them. Um, so. Well, it's a lot of work too. I mean, it can be a lot of work. Yes. To bring yeah. someone on and mentor them and uh, provide them guidance and feedback. But I think if you have, you know, a set of principles and framework to operate off of, it's just kind of thinking out loud at times, you know, yeah. and, and that's not impossible. No, no, it's, uh, yeah, we, we, uh, now we are, are still, it's myself and Dave and Miguel. And then we have a part-time in Christina and then we have a uh, full-time internship program stipend of four interns. So there is eight people. Then we have a college level program and a volunteer program that we still get some, some people from around the community, um, to come in and help out, but it's not where you want it to be, but it's, it's growing and we're opening. We, uh, the biggest thing is we are, we have an open door policy. Like Chris said, he comes back being an alum, he comes back all the time. But if someone were to just email me and say, Hey, I'm coming through here. I'd like to work out. We're definitely not going to turn them down. And we've met some pretty great people, uh, through that. And, uh, yeah. So I know you're a big goal setter. And one of your most recent ones was creating your own board board position. Was it NASM? Yes. Yeah. So creating your own board position at NASM. So talk to us about your goal setting process, man. And I mean, what else is out there? Uh, I guess how we did that was we put uh, the head of the NASM on a plane um, from Asia to LA and we planted inception into his head. <laughs> Uh, and he just kind of came up with that organically. But uh, really what we did was, you know, my NASM actually ran out. And so calling them, they weren't going to allow me to retake or uh, re-up the certification. So I was, how do you get this? How do you, uh, how, who can I appeal to? And the guy on the phone said, well, you appeal to the board. Well, okay, right? So I set that out as, this is going to be my goal. I mean, I, I had goals as to be board members, a board member of, you know, a different organization, but um, I had uh, talked to him or talked to the, the guy on the phone. I called the NASM, the guy who was actually the head of the board um, in Omaha, Nebraska. And then uh, I set out to find as many members as I knew as possible. And so what I did was I, 
taught, found uh, a, a member who was willing to talk to me. And it just so happens that member was the chair and was about to retire. And so I made a good rapport with him, got introduced to a few different people, and it took a long time. I still had to take the NASM test over again, which in turn helped me uh, with being on the board because I understood the test. I understood the exam. I just had read the book cover to cover again now for the third time. And, and so when I got on there, I had fresh new ideas for that. Um, but it was, it was a slow, meticulous process um, that played out very well, very well. And, you know, I guess, you know, like, just like a lot of things, like I had my vision board, my professional goals and whatnot. Um, you know, if you write it down and you go for it and you look at it and you can see it every day, like it, honestly, it's, it's going to happen if you're thinking about it. And that was one goal where I was like, Hey, these guys took away my certification. I've had it for 13 years. You know what? I mean, I shouldn't say this, but fuck this. I'm going after that. And I actually wrote it down. I went after that. It's still sitting right here, written down. And I wrote down every member, members, uh, board members number on here. And now I'm at the bottom highlighted. So I, now I look at that for the next year, which is actually, you know, it's turned out to be a great thing um, because it is a big organization. They are changing. Um, and it, it, it's, I, I kind of pride myself on that where I set that out, but I, that's kind of with a lot of the other goals, like to get this job, uh, to pass the first NASM exam to pass the NSCA exam, um, other things. So, yeah. Yeah, man. I, and with our first conversation, a big part of that was getting the, the CSCS cause it was a yeah. necessary component. And I was again, coming from a sport coach and CrossFit coach background. So that was the first hurdle. And essentially it was, yeah, same, same guidance you're doing here, write it down and fucking study your ass off. Yeah. I still, I was thinking about this the other day. I still think about the first conversation. I actually went back and I had the email that you oh, had given shit. me. And uh, yeah, there was a few spelling errors. I'm not going to lie. What? Uh, but but uh, it's, it's uh, I remember that day. It was up in Yates. I think I had a cutoff shirt, cutoff sweatpants and some sandals on. I don't know. And we Real professional, up. yeah. I definitely was all over the place that day. Um, but uh I, I honestly do remember you coming in, sitting down and, you know, and I was like, oh shit, you know, this Chris is very serious. He really is wanting to do this. And I remember, I remember coming back and uh, getting an email from you literally two hours later and reading it saying, Hey, thank you, Mike, for this. And I would like to do this. And, and, uh, and so, yeah, it just, it just worked out. It worked out from there, but um, yeah, it goes back to being willing and being open to that and not shutting anybody off because you never know what, uh, what door that's going to open. So. Yeah, it was about the same time as getting on the opportunity to, to help out with the cross football seminars. Yes. So I was diving into this strength and conditioning, this performance-based education, and then seeing how it was kind of packaged, delivered and taught with some personality from Luke over here. And Man, I don't know. Then Georgetown became the opportunity to fucking teach with style, right? Find my own voice, get a team, right? When a team is yours, it's yours to lose. And how do you get the women's crew team engaged in, I don't know, freaking power cleans, wherever the hell we're working on by, you know, I don't know, just being silly. Yeah. Yeah. You got it. Because honestly, like what you just said, having fun, like that's, 
you know, these bass, I, I mean, I work at, uh, being the director at Georgetown, I work with just men's basketball here, but I've worked with every team. And so men's basketball, they're here for one specific goal. They're trying to get to the NBA. We're trying to win games. There's other teams here that are trying to do that, but at a lower level, um, some of them are just here literally to go to school and have fun. And so they want to train. And honestly, some, those are the kids that give back the most are the kids that you engage, you make better. And it's not like they're going to move mountains and move tons of weight around, but you're just making them feel better. They're experienced better having fun. And, uh, you know, that's, that's what a lot of sports and play is, is, is about really. Um, it's not all this glamorous trying to get to these, uh, you know, uh, you know, Instagram likes and whatever, and just taking photos of yourself and whatnot. It's about the human to human really contact of making somebody better and helping somebody out. Let's get into the basketball, man. I remember you talked about Augie saying that uh, Power Clean got marked off his program, so he would program jumping with weights. They call it, yeah. It was, oh, so shoot, I forgot what it's called. Like, uh, yeah, something. Yeah, barbell jumps with weights. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so how has training the basketball team evolved over the past, you know, fifteen years? I get, so when I first came here being in 2004, they were in the other, you know, the other room and then going up to Yates Fieldhouse. Um, you know, and Fitz was a, Fitz was the original one who did that at Maryland, who had to change it because Gary Williams didn't like, uh, didn't like the pulls from the floor, didn't like the power cleans, didn't like, uh, his stuff. He just wanted to make him look good and whatnot, but they obviously won a national championship. So apparently knows what he's doing, I guess, whatever. Uh, but back in the day, it was more of a Bill Starr-ish program uh, where, you know, we were putting some serious weight through those kids. Uh, and we were doing kind of like the bedrock program. It's like, okay, simple, uh, these movements, you know, you're not, you're not going over much five reps on, on anything. You're adding five to 10 pounds, you know, the five to 10 pounds on the, the bench or the back squat, whatever, two and a half on the clean, whatever it is, you're, you're, you're linear progressing. Um, and then you have your resets every once in a while and your resets just so happen to fall on the four, four weeks or five weeks or whatever. You're trying to push the envelope, but we were putting some serious weight through these guys. I will say this, and, and they were holding on to a lot of injuries, but at the same time, um, we were, we were making these kids, uh, you know, they were seeing that weight, they were seeing that weight move. They were seeing those accomplishments and uh, we were making them, uh, I shouldn't say mental toughness, but mentally strong by them at that time, seeing that happen, seeing them grow, seeing their bodies change. Um, and then, you know, as, as uh, the years progressed in 2008, about four or five years after that, and Augie was still here, uh, we, we were doing more, I guess, movement stuff, more, more what you would say agility terms, uh, on the court stuff. Um, more prep work. There wasn't uh, a whole lot of just get in there, you know, get your chili high grip and rip, like, you know, um, to where now it's, it's almost like, you know, we try and keep it as simple as we can really um, uh, introducing the movements, making these guys proficient in everything that they're doing. I regardless of that weight, they're still going to push some weight at some level, but check marking those boxes off. Can this kid actually clean from position one? Right. So probably not going to have him pull from the floor, right? Or if I do, he's not going to catch it. Or if I do, he's going to do certain things. We kind of, my program is, uh, you know, uh, I, I say this is, it's a third of what I want to do 
It's like a third of what the coaches want to see. And it's about the third of what the athletes want to do too. So it's, it's kind of triangled it out and it's pulled that triangle in different ways where, you know, some days it's heavy day and it, we're getting what I want out of that day. Some other days, you know, maybe it's a, a, you know, a practice day and we need to, there's going to be a recruit in there. Um, not saying I'm changing my program for that, but we'll throw in a couple things in there, you know, that, uh, is basketball specific, um, that'll help them see, see that stuff. Cause I, I do think that plays into the buy-in a little bit, you know, and it's not going to sacrifice your program a whole lot. If you throw something in there, um, if the kids really believe in it, you know, it's like really anything, it's like religion. If you really believe in it and you go to church every day and you really like it, it's probably going to happen. You know, um, that NASM thing would, would never happen had I not written it down and believed in it. Like, um, so, uh, it, I guess going back on that, you know, my program is a third, third is in a triangle motion. Um, but it also hits the specific things. We're always hitting some type of a warm up. We're always movement, uh, pressure, um, or, uh, dynamic style warm up stuff like that. But, um, we're doing some type of hip act activation, core activation, right? Some type of movement modality. Um, and then getting into the messes of what we're doing for that day it could be a, uh, explosive movement, and same thing, kind of like, oh, it's, 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 a, uh, it's a movement, it's a major or a minor leg, what I call unilateral, bilateral hip hinge, stuff like that, a major and minor for the kids. Um, and then I do a pull and a press and some type of a balance at the end. I keep my explosive stuff at the beginning and more balanced type of resets at the end. Uh, and uh, honestly, I keep, I keep it simple with that parameters around that. I don't, I don't want to try and work outside of that and do something crazy that they don't know because within that four year period, if I can make a kid proficient and learn and go off um, to whatever NBA team or training them for life and they know how to structure a workout, a warm up, a hip act, a core act, all that stuff, getting themselves ready for that day and they can structure that workout in that, um, you know, uh, progression, then, you know, I've kind of done my job and, and taught them as a teacher rather than as, you know, that military style yelling coach, if that makes sense. hundred yeah. percent. I really like that rule of thirds type deal. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm with you, Mike, if there's any of the listeners out there who are like, oh, you're going to compromise the fucking uh, sanctitude of your technical application. Oh. Go fuck yourself. Because like, Dude, I, I, I want to go down a different avenue. I, I can remember, and granted, I have I don't have a ton of team training experience, but at, you got to do this with your paying clients in the private sector too. I remember one, <laughs> for one of the warm ups at Balboa, we had just got a demon bell, right? And on the fucking radio, I would put on like weird voodoo seance music, and everybody had to shuffle around the demon bell and do like weird movements. And fucking dances to the demon bell. You were really bored there. Dude, you have no clue. And like, great people. It's nothing against people. But at the end of the day, like, what the fuck was I doing? But people, they had a fucking blast. You know what I mean? We're throwing in fucking tag for general pop, right? Like, uh, I think my favorite one I stole from Balboa days to throw in at the DuPont was the, the circle dance. So one yeah. person runs into the middle of a circle and does some crazy random dance move mm -hmm. and everybody does it for 10 seconds. And then you just next guy, flying in and next out. gal, next guy, next yeah. gal. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And you're chilly hot. <laughs> speaking of, I guess, speaking of that, you know, text, we talk a lot about that stuff. And I know you guys in your, in your program stuff and your, uh, 
online stuff, you talk about the warm up prep, but every single day. So I use these little, uh, basketball charts and write them up and down, whatever. But this is how many warmups we actually have during a year. So awesome. this is for listeners. He's holding uh, probably it's a probably stack of what? 20 grand here. What yeah. Is that? yeah. But sure. There's probably 300 and something warmups in this. Right. Mm-hmm. So, but each day that I try and throw in and teach them something a little bit different. It's the same yet different, you know? Um, and I literally am meticulous about writing things down, writing the conditioning that we're doing for that day. How many reps, uh, you know, um, uh, and I go as far as, you know, if I pull one of these out, I go as far as putting guys on the line, um, and writing their names. So this particular day, uh, you know, Grayson was at the far end, George was in the middle and, and Josh was at the far end. So those three points, everybody can fill in because if you don't do that, you know, you'll have those clicks that'll move over to the side and they'll always be warming up next to each other. So that goes into the weird vibrational stuff and friendships and relationships and things and breaking them up. I may pick all three seniors. I may pick all three big men. I may pick three dudes that are standing in the corner, you know, fucking off like, Hey, you three, you know what? Boom, boom, boom. You guys are there right underneath the basket. We also do. You know, when everybody thinks like doing linear warm up, whatever, I do floor, wall, and then court. And I also split the court up into half court, full court, or we go sideways. Um, so I try and, and incorporate different, you know, and they always want to do the floor warm up. They always want to lay down on the floor, do the kicks, leg kicks, whatever, on the ground, do the hip stuff on the ground, and then get up and then do some dynamic, more movement stuff. Um, but I, but I break it up every day. So it's not so monotonous. And I say that as like what you guys had preached and what text, you know, we've talked about was every single day, if you don't think a warm up can actually make you better, like, that's what I mean by on the workout, like the warm up. each day I'm teaching them like, okay, here's a blue pad. All it says up there for warm up is mobility, blue pad. I can teach you 10 things just to use with that blue pad. Right. Um, what I mean by hip activation is like, okay, when they see a little band that goes around their ankles, okay, how do I do that? If it says band hips standing, okay, an athlete's just standing there. What can you do with that band? Floor, what can you do on the floor? Moving, what can you do with that moving? So I give them in those subcategories are basically A, B, and C. And I give them three choices. So going back to the rule of three is really there's three things that I can really pick out of each one of those areas, out of each one of those subcategories. And that kind of goes to, you know, each one of my, uh, what are my movements, you know, just like you guys, are you going to squat today? Are you going to step up? Are you going to lunge and maybe throw in a deadlift there? There's four, maybe someday, right? You know, uh, maybe some sumo, whatever, whatever it is. And just keep it simple. Keep your parameters simple and just focus on the little details in the application. Um, and that goes to the workouts. So this is like my program. So same thing is just, these are every single day. These are my lesson plans. You can go back and look, uh, this was lift day 89. You can go look at where those guys were at each rack. Um, the warmup I used the quote that I had on the board, uh, the music that we listened to that day was little baby. I'm not sure who that guy is, but apparently he's pretty good <laughs> because the lift rating was at a 4.5. So out of five, but in, I, I I'm, I guess, meticulous in all those little things that I'm more, uh, like I told Ron on his podcast and what Augie unbeknownst to kind of unknowingly told me was it's not about the program that you're writing. 
it's about the whole entire program that you're actually running, right? So it's more lowercase the program to the uppercase the program. Like, who is this? How can Mike Hill make you better? Um, how, you know, is it, is it just the, the, the actual, you know, wad that you're doing for that day? Is that the program that's going to make you better? Or is it this person that can actually take that program, decipher it, break it down, show you how to do it, um, make you feel good while you're doing it. And then when you leave, you feel like you want to come back and do more. Um, that's kind of a roundabout way of, of how we run the program. Well, and I think what's even what's great to hear is just how perceptive you are in, in identifying these patterns. And perhaps it's, it's in reflecting across like this diligent note-taking and record retention program you have. I'm impressed. Uh, but recognizing the pattern, leveraging that pattern as a baseline, applying a variance and determining if it hits like the, the desired outcome specifically with respect to like the social component you were talking about with clicks. Okay. This pattern is forming during warmups you know, all the bigs are all of a sudden creating this click. Well, let's see what happens when we disrupt that. Let's yeah. reflect. Was it valuable? Should we consider doing it again? Did it totally implode? Did it implode because of something I did? They did. And I think that that reflection process, monitoring, and even just identifying these patterns, man, I don't know that a lot of, a lot of coaches do that with intent. You know, maybe it is um, just kind of an instinctive thing we do. We start to recognize it, but I don't think people tend to, want to just like stray from the pattern or the norm or the habit, whatever you want to call it. And I think that there's, as you stray, there's value in, in that gap between what could be and what should be. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so I guess I'm pulling this out. This is actually coach Ewing's workout. Coach Ewing comes and works out three days a week. But so like the, the coach, the typical strength coach, when you see him in the college level and actually the professional level too, is they sit around, they have a laminated, program like hey this is what we're doing for the day you know they're looking at it and they're carrying around this laminated program i mean when you say like diligent note taking and stuff like that like i set myself up for this whole lift usually it's it's the night before most of the time um it's already set up but uh writing out their programs by hand for basketball like i don't print off their cards like i'm i'm twitching things and uh uh, uh manipulating it daily really um but I set that up. I write it all down during the lift. There is no phones. There's nothing being recorded. I'm not writing anything down. These are more pre and then post after action reports is I go and reflect how did this work out? Um, what went wrong? What went right? Writing things down. So I reflect on it, which I don't think a lot of strength coaches do. I even, I rate my workout. Um, you know, like that's with little baby was a 4.5 out of five. So something must have went right. I'm very critical, I guess, of myself too. Um, I, you know, it's, it's like, did that workout go bad? Tell yourself that. And honestly, tell coach that like when coach, you know, coach Ewing asked me like, Hey Mike, how was the workout? Honestly, coach, it was terrible. I give it about a two out of five, right? I'm going to be honest with you, you know, because every time you're not going to have a slam jam workout where you're, you're, uh, you're having some, a lot of success. And honestly, I'm not saying that as I'm trying to redline these kids every time because I really want them fatigued, but feeling better, uh, feeling better about themselves and wanting to come back from more. I'm not trying to, you know, keep them, keep them out of this room. I'm trying to encourage them to come in and stay there. I want to get to coaching up or leading up. So you have a great relationship with Ewing. I know you coached, coached his son at one point in your career, but 
to help our strength coaches deal or manage or speak to their sport coach, right? I know there's still a lot of myth of lifting will kill your shot kind of deal with the sport of basketball and weightlifting. How can you advise someone on developing that relationship at a faster pace so they can have a, a faster impact on their athletes? I, uh, you know, I guess a short space balls answer, the short, short version is communication really is, but also too, most of the time when you see those that don't work, uh, equation wise, it's not equal, equal. It's a sport coach that's demanding too much. And it's a strength coach who's demanding too much. It's like foreign relations. You got to give something. Somebody has got to give somewhere. You got to give, you got to take, you got to show, you got to communicate, you got to get on their level for at least a little bit. And then maybe, put your foot in that door and say, Hey, wait a minute, let me try this or do what they want and just bring them in, you know, that, that, that cat around a little bit, bring them in a little bit. And then all of a sudden just show them like completely flip the script on them and be like, Hey, you know what? We have been doing power cleans for the past four years, right? Unbeknownst to anybody else is we're writing them down as a different thing. And the athletes are getting better for it. Um, you know, I, I really do. There's obviously there's a lack of communication in, in the world, but I think it is, is just understanding that coach, letting that coach first hear you listening to them. So you're hearing them out and then showing them what you can do and earning their trust slowly. I don't think it happens. Uh, I guess now in the day, in the age of strength coaches and football uh, or football strength coaches, you know, going at these bouncing around to these jobs, they got to come in and slam, make a huge uh, impact and they're following these coaches around. Um, but, uh, honestly, it's more, it's, it's more of you opening up. It's more of the coach opening up and getting on the same level. So it'd come down to really communication. I guess now going the other direction and you, you've managed a lot of coaches underneath you that have been through Georgetown and moved on to other universities or, or awesome high schools. Talk about how you effectively deliver criticism to your your coaches that you work with, work out with, and sometimes grab a beer with. <laughs> uh, um, I guess it can come in many forms, from a text message uh, to just, uh, I guess one thing I don't do is unless there's a immediate need for it, I'm not going to give it to them, one, in front of the athlete, in front of the sport coach, or in front of the whole team in general, I'm not going to yell at some kid or some coach and undress him. That's not, honestly, that's not the way it is. Like, Augie didn't do that to me and I wouldn't do that to anybody else. So first I would be professional about it. Um, if I didn't agree with something, come in, challenge them, ask them why they didn't do it. Um, I've never really been in that situation where I've had a screaming match back and forth about somebody's program or how they're handling a team. It's always been, a good friendly relationship. Um, there's been suggestions that I've said, Hey, do you think about doing this Think about doing this? But honestly, everybody's program is different. Everybody's coach is different. We've, that's what I guess Georgetown is kind of built on is you taking that ownership of that team, me giving you kind of the parameters and not failing, uh, you know, that structure, that theory, and you're just kind of working your way down that middle of that. Um, but yeah, there's never been, uh, I, you know, honestly, if it, if it came to that, then there's a real problem. There's a real problem. Um, so is that a thing? Is that like a, that type of in your face disagreement 
a thing in other universities? I mean, I guess it's got to be, right? Yeah, a little. Just breadth of personality. There's, a little there's, definitely schools, there's definitely a few schools out there that, you know, will more of undressing coaches or subordinates underneath them in front of that, you know, in front of athletes, which, you know, if like, if, you know, when Chris was here, if I, if, if I didn't agree with something and I came up to him and yelled at him in front of the crew team, that would kind of just kind of downgrade his coaching to them where we're trying to build that up. Uh, and honestly, I think, that, you know, like when I came in here, I didn't have the best experience. I didn't know everything. I, I didn't, uh, you know, and, and so how Augie empowered me to believe in what I knew and what I was applying. Um, I, I think if, you know, there's so many ways to skin that cat, there's so many ways to get to that end goal. You know, if somebody here really believes in that program, really believes in the direction that they're going, I'm more likely I'm going to push them in that direction rather than push them down. Um, and, you know, like Chris referenced that earlier about how on his resume, you know, it was uh, CrossFit, CrossFit football and certain things that did have a CSCS that to some coaches would have turned off. For me, it was, OK, I want to learn. I want to learn this. I don't know a whole lot about it. Right. I'm, you know, uh, open to any style of training. And if Chris is open to learning, then, yes, let's let's do this. Let's see what let's see what you can do. Um, and his program looking back was drastically different than anyone else's. And that's one thing I like was he broke the mold. Um, I don't want a coach that's going to come in here and do everything I say and do, copy my programs because that's my, I guess my way of teaching, you know, I don't like the typical one, a or a one, a two B, whatever. I'm not that type. I want athletes to see something on their card. One, two, three, do it in order, you know, learn it as fast as possible. Look at you, Tex. I'm taking some notes. No, I'm <laughs> talking about just the, when you were a young whippersnapper, willing to learn. Now you're just up here on your ivory tower telling everybody how it is. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I'll share this. The I got a talking you to. Gonna, Mike you, gave me a talking to. Are you telling me how it is? No, I'll tell you. You have to say. About the time that Mike told me how it was <laughs> with old Ricky Free. And um, I guess when you were in season, Mike, and I was taking over those ladies' lax conditioning yes. sessions. Yeah. And whatever the hell they were doing, I still think is stupid. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they were like diving across the line. I'm like, no, finish on your feet. You got to turn around and do something else or do something athletic. And they dive across the line to, I don't know, demonstrate effort. And I just called them out. And then, no. So I had to sit down and get a talking to from, uh, from Mike, from Ricky. And, um, uh, I don't know, got to sit on the bench. For, for those sessions for a while. So hang on, Mike, what happened now? You know what he's talking uh, about? So there we were. It was a Wednesday. <laughs> I believe, Luke, the weather was in our nation's capital, 78 degrees, humidity mm. at 32%. Yeah, great this great is podcast weather. This is helping. <laughs> Sounds like you, yeah, could have recorded a podcast on that. So uh, I guess, you know, with that, I guess, specific was for a team, what they had was, um, instead of at the end of gassers or working out or whatever to, you know, the slow athletes or the athletes who weren't as conditioned, um, to show effort at the end of the line was if you're not coming in at that 35 second mark or whatever the time was, you know, diving on diving for something. Cause it, it, in lacrosse, they don't dive. They don't, you know, they actually avoid contact at all costs. Right. So, um, was to show them that they could give that effort and lay themselves out. Um, 
and I wasn't, I, I wasn't there that day, but just coming in to the, and Chris was filling in was, uh, was that that happened. That, and then I'm not sure what the situation was, what Chris had said or the turning, whatever was again, him, he believed in that. Um, and coach believed in that. And so basically had to just sat down talked about it, whatever. And just, it basically went back to was, I just kept on coaching and Chris kept on doing whatsoever. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't like a crazy, you know, big deal or anything, but you know, sport coaches, they, they get, uh, they get really possessive on certain things, you know, certain aspects, um, certain tests. And I think you're seeing that change now, honestly, you're seeing that stuff change where, um, you know, the old gasser, the old, uh, uh, suicide is being broken down. Same thing with the military, the old two mile run test, stuff like that. That's being broken down where, you know, finally their sport coaches are starting to learn the language. They're starting to learn the things where that's something that we had to give and take. Like I remember being uh, women's basketball uh, when I first came here, strength coach and the, the, basically the coach just wanted to just kill him. Just Mike, just kill him, just condition him, you know, whatever. And I'm like, uh, if we killed them pretty much would they lock us up and throw away the key? Like that's, uh, <laughs> that's uh, what we're trying to do here. Right. I mean, I don't know. Uh, but had to take that in a way of where the perception of that was, yes, they were tired. Um, they were for her turns being killed. I actually made a, a presentation that said, what are we doing here? Like, what, what are we doing here? And it had some guy vomiting. Like, is that what we're trying to do? We're trying to make every kid vomit. Like that doesn't make sense to me. Um, but you know, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, that was still coaches still believed in that. But and the older coaches, they hold on to that stuff. They hold on to that uh, um, thought of this is what, you know, just like in your book, just, this is what we, uh, we grew up doing. And so you're going to do this because it worked for us um, mentality, type of mentality. And nobody ever questioned that stuff. Um, so half chicken, half turkey, whatever. Yeah, and I mean, going back to the old McQuilkin deal about open his big yapper. But I mean, realistic scenario, you know, in evaluation of that, I guess you take a little bit of time, place and manner, right? Was that the right time, place and manner to, to, to make the objection? Probably, well, obviously not, you know, it wasn't well received, but I think that a sport coach and even as a strength coach, and this gets outside of like any sort of paradigm where you're in a team environment is the fact of the matter is, you know, I, I guess I've been toying with the term emotional equity. Like you, you hadn't earned, like you haven't put in the time to to be able to effectively communicate, communicate that point, regardless if it was valid or not. Like, I think you and I would find it more valid to like, well, let's start to build the habits of game time. If you're not diving in the sport, why would, you know, let's, it's going to become a habit, but bridging the gap, Mike, what you're talking about in terms of connection and relationship, like, you know, I think each individual kind of has their own price, right? Maybe it's the amount of give and take that you have is what, determines how valuable your opinion is. Maybe it is the credentials on the tail end of your your name or your email signature. Um, maybe it's how much you've given to them or how much you've conceded to them. But like all of these things go back to this monitoring process that I, you know, I got to give you props for, Mike, is like if you're not try, like trying these things and evaluating them, then mm. you're never going to kind of develop that flow of how you're going to build a relationship where there is a meaningful opportunity for you to impose positive change on a team. If the sport coach is the gatekeeper, right? 
Yes. And you can build that analog into any other team environment, whether it's, you know, at the workplace or in the family. If people aren't going to trust you, if it's not the right time or place, no matter how valuable your info is or feedback is, fuck off. They're not going to listen. Yeah. I, man. I can't remember how many times did you work with them prior to that. Because, I took it, you know, took it too far because, I mean, we were teaching wall drill and I was showing them just a. I took it as teaching sessions again, probably taking my football reps way too far. And then the final teaching moment when we're hitting the conditioning at the end was not in line with, because they may have had a shoot around or some practice next, but head coach was there and he maybe only heard that final piece. Mm -hmm. I don't remember hundred. But but at the end of the, like it was, I understand the, I understand the purpose behind the culture. Like, okay. It's, you know, it's finishing. It's yeah. how, you, how do you want to finish? And, and that is hearing the contact. Now we're showing that you're willing to lay it on the line. Yeah. I did not, I did not see that. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. I was like, man, I missed that. <laughs> Mike, now I'm like, Oh, sh- you're rewarding man, the slow shit. kids. You're rewarding the fat kids. You know, what I mean? <laughs> uh, at, you know, God bless the 33s that are coming in super fast. But I mean, not any, I guess any of those drills, um, that's what it was like, you know, like the, the football kid who can't do the one tens in a certain amount of time, like, okay, well don't, you don't give him the parameter of that time and he can't make it, you know, for 20 of in a row or even five in a row, even one. It's like, how can you scale that to make that equal to him? Um, or just don't do it at all with them. You know, um, you're, I guess w- with that, you're seeing coaches and, and specifically, I guess with football too, is like, with conditioning they're just hammering these drills into these teams and kids that shouldn't be doing that in the first place i I mean in my in my opinion i guess but um you know there's there's different positions on the field that need different training um so you know making everyone on uh put on a level playing field just in football specifically isn't uh isn't appropriate just i guess in lacrosse it's like making your goalie do a conditioning drill i'm not sure what you i would honestly try and feed my goalie as much food as possible i mean and get the goalie as fat (laughs) as possible right so they can cover up the goal right i mean that would make more sense and then just make them i don't know maybe that's the only video games that they need to play is to uh get get their hand-eye coordination they're the only player that should be playing video games um I, i don't i don't know um but you know, that was, uh, I guess it's kind of the thought process behind that. And, uh, yeah, some coaches, you know, they, uh, they hold on to that stuff specifically and they just, you know, being a new guy coming in, um, they're never going to, uh, be the other person, um, coming in. I guess that goes back to being trust and just like, you know, when, when, you know, it's alluded to me being with other coaches, uh, around, um, there's, you know, I've had to wear many hats, you know, with Coach Thompson, now with Coach Ewing, but with other coaches here at Georgetown, it's like you introduce yourself to a coach and they want to impose their will right away on what they expect out of you because they're the alpha, they're the coach. Um, and we as a strength coach or sports performance coach work for them. It's like, okay, I've been presented with those uh, sequences multiple times, multiple of times. And uh, it just for me, going back to the question too, is it's just listening to their, listening to them, communicating, hearing them out first. That's what they want to do. They want to get that out. They want to get that to you. And then you do whatever you want with it and digest it and spit it out and, and feed it to their athletes. Um, but. 
eventually earn trust and the opportunity to give feedback. The long con, McQuilkin. What do you know about the long con? What do I know? I'm all long. I'm only long cons. Listen, it's not a long con if you don't act fast enough to make it happen quickly. I think you're confusing that. You just mosey with all of your cons that could be short cons, but you mosey. Oh, on my blog, it's a it's a long driveway. It's a long con. <laughs> it's a long con. Yes, that's the name of my blog. I got it. Boom. It's a tagline for your blog. No, that's the name of your blog is Talk to Me Johnny. No, like that's... my like my blog. <laughs> You got anything else, big guy? Man. Mike, we're gonna see you at summer summer strong. Yeah. Are you guys uh are you going to the CSCCA? Oh yeah. Yeah, I'll see you then. Not me. Yeah. I'm a fake coach. <laughs> well, I guess quick note, I know Mike Hill's book club. It's a big deal. And you talked you mentioned vibrations earlier. So we yes. talked about this around Christmas. What was the what was that book? I guess how why music? Like we get in tune with these vibrations and that's why we select the music that we like. What was that book about? There, I guess there's a few of those books. There's uh, uh, Power Versus Force and it's not really, you know, like a weightlifting book, but it references some weightlifting. There's Power Versus Force. Uh, there's, um, I guess, the Theory of Everything book. I mean, there, there's a lot of those that, and you're seeing it now come out where, uh, people are talking about the vibration and the frequency of people, you know, and, uh, you know, the fact that words were just made up to hide that vibration and frequency from people. Um, and, you know, it, it goes back to that gazelle and that lion. They're not communicating. They're actually feeling and hearing and listening to those vibrations and that frequency. Um, when they get up in the morning, they're not talking to each other. Um, humans are a little bit uh, like Laura Zara says from Summerstrong was, humans are unpredictable. You know, they start talking and they don't really tell what they're actually feeling or, or actually want to say they're, you know, lying. That's why you say the truth will set you free. Um, all those books now kind of the Hills book club, I went through, uh, you know, beforehand what I was reading, reading, you know, all strength conditioning stuff, uh, you know, and then I go into a phase of military, then go into a phase of that type of stuff. That just happened to be kind of a phase that I had went through um, of that of frequency vibration. But there is a lot. Like I guess going back to our Georgetown basketball stuff and our training is like, you know, if you picture a Georgetown basketball workout in here, it's not like we're listening to Little Baby every single day. Um, that may need that. They, sometimes they may need to be set straight where Neil Diamond or someone else is like, that's the music we need to listen to for that day so they can shut off that mechanism, all go back into themselves and focus on the task at hand. I think most of the kids these days walk around and listen to their life soundtrack all day long. Why bring them in the weight room so you can turn that life soundtrack back on to them and they cannot listen to a word that you say? Uh, so I, I guess I use music as kind of a segue into other things, but and use it as a learning tool to help them rather than hurt my coaching. Um, and some people will find that bla like blasphemy and totally, you know, if I went into a, a huge big time football SEC school and put on Neil Diamond or some other music, I, you know, I'd, I'd get run out. Chumbawamba, <laughs> for sure. Like, on but repeat for an hour. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but it was, I mean, it's, uh, I know the specific song it was Petey Pablo, take your shirt off, throw it on the air like a helicopter. And that's what my kids were doing. 
And so they were taking the shirts off, throwing them around, looking in the mirror. And I'm like, what is going on here? I got to figure this out. Um, and so that's when I had to hard stop on that music. And I honestly, I came, I don't know if this is quoted anywhere, but if you control the music, you control the room. Like if you don't control the music, if a kid's going up there, turning it and changing it all the time, trust me, you're not controlling the room. You are not, they do not respect you as a coach. They do not respect you, right? You never touch another man's radio, right? I mean, that's what, <laughs> right? so if, uh, if, if, uh, if, if they can't respect you and they can't respect that rule or listening to your coaching, listening to that while the music is off and uh, listening to your coaching cues, then there's something wrong with your program, right? If you can't hold off for an hour or less 30 minutes or even 15 minutes or even the five minutes that you're explaining part of the parts of the program without music, then there's, I think there is a problem that that goes back to just being on human to human vibrational frequency and, and, uh, um, there, I guess there's a lot more to that underlying, um, is, is kind of the, you know, the program is like, you know, why did I resonate with Chris? Like, why did I resonate with all the people that were here, um, previous with me with good coaches? Like I said, they organically work themselves out and I want people who I want to hang out with, but it goes back to the, uh, you know, they're prime, we're using the word primal, primal, uh, uh, just behaviors of being around people that you want to be around about your vibes around your frequency, um, you know, and that's why people, that's why people go to summer strong. There's all, you know, the, the, the frequency that they're emitting, everybody wants to come in, vibrate with that and then leave and then wish they were there. Like that's the one day a year where everybody comes in and stamps, boom, same thing with, I've never, haven't been the power athlete symposium, but hopefully I will get to go this coming year. So I, that's the same thing It's like people that you want to be around the frequency that you guys are throwing out. Um, is an unsaid thing, right? You go around your around all these people that are like you guys, that are like me, that are like they all like this training aspect, and you're seeing those doors open even more. It's not just the training, you know. Like you guys bringing in all sorts of people, bringing those parameters and 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 sending that frequency out farther and farther, um, having bigger ripples, bigger. So your Ben Franklin's ish circle is getting bigger and bigger within it. So. Boom. And that's, that's every book, man. I know all of our conversations, anytime that's, that's the lead off. What are you reading? It was a, a CIA lie to me book. One of yeah. those years. Spy the lie, spy the lie. Like I re referenced this in Ron's podcast with verbal judo, like how you say your words, like next time go to a conversation and when somebody just ups you and like karate punches you with words, like saying, Hey, you know, Chumbawamba, that's a good song. And you come back at me and say, no, that's a great song. And then you come back at me. That's a simple kind of verbal judo fighting, right? Verbal judo would be rolling with that words and just taking it. Whereas if I were karate or boxing with those words, you see people just in like podcasts or different things, they just keep one-upping. Oh, well, I know this guy. Oh, I know the story about this guy. Well, I know this guy or I have this experience. They try and one-up you all the time. And there's this little underground fight that's happening behind closed doors that you really don't see. But once you peel back those layers of that onion, you can spy the lie. You can actually, you know, they say body language will tell you things way faster. You know, the light emitted will hit you before that sound even comes through your, through your brain. Um, so that body language and what they're saying, you know, you can tell a different story by what, what people are giving you. And, and it's amazing. That's more, you know, my, my relationships, uh, with kids, and going back to the rule of threes, and I have the my board up here with the three things that's going to make every athlete better is 
right there. But, um, you know, my freshmen or when kids come in, that's all relationship. Then when I build that relationship, it may take a year to open up to a kid. And then I go to the next stage is development, right? Which I'm actually developing and I'm churning them to where, how I want. And then the last stage is lifestyle, but training them to leave. I don't think a lot of strength coaches do that. Train them to leave, train them to have good habits, you know, finding out uh, what makes them tick in the relationship, changing it, and then kicking them out the door once they're done, you know, those, those three things. But yeah, every time Chris comes in, I always say that, you know, he's always asking me, you know, what's the next thing or what are we, what are you listening to? What kind of podcasts, you know, the, the dark matter conversations that are happening around you, like what, yeah. But yeah, flat earth, it's clearly like as Derek Woodsy says, <laughs> says, the earth isn't flat, the moon is, right? <laughs> but like all those books, like, you know, and, and the funny thing is, is I'm reading more books than what I actually put on there. It sounds, and, and, and actually Sean Foster doesn't believe that I actually read all of them. But honestly, would I waste my time posting them and buying those books if I wasn't going to read them? Like that would be, you know, a rounders type of a move, moment where it's like surround yourself with what fucking books that you like, like, you know, whatever, whatever gets you off, like whatever you like. Um, and I take a lot of recommendations of books, but honestly, you know, and Chris knows like, uh, I've had this kind of crazy weird idea um, for quite some time about writing a book. And so really right now, my research is, is researching, can I do this? Could I write a book? Um, and I've gone around and around about it, but I think in my exploits and like your program, like this book is genius. Like this book for you guys coming up with this level one of smashing it down, putting it together, what kind of program can you guys put your hat on like bedrock program? What kind of program can you lay the foundation on? What kind of can you take from there? And just like your guys battle all the bullshit, like put it all together, make it digestible, you know, reverse engineering, everything working backwards and then coming forwards again, like that type of stuff. Like that's kind of the bookish or like I want to write is all of this stuff that you're trying to learn all of it. How, how can you break it down to, in general, a theory of everything. Like that's what we're really trying to do is take all that stuff, disseminate it, digest it. Like we said, you know, put it together, put it into a book and then teach it to someone. Um, and I don't know if that can ever be attainable, you know, is in the theory of everything. I don't know if there is a good one equation, simple equation. Um, but I honestly think, and this is kind of the premise of the book. I honestly think you'd be done with through symbols first, like words. Yes. There's a lot of words in all these books. There's a lot of words and Excel programs and all this stuff. But honestly, a symbol can push you even farther and it can unlock a lot of, you know, other dimensions. Um, and in sports, like I, you know, where I'm Georgetown basketball, like I, we, this is our symbol. I guess I'm not talking about that type of stuff. I'm more talking about, you know, if you look at something and you can see a thousand things in it you know, this can apply to a million different things. Um, and I say this is just a snippet is like, uh, Zerpinski's triangle. So if anybody listening is out there, you know, just like uh, Zerpinski's triangle, if you look that up, it's actually a fractal based triangle. Okay. So it's a fractal, it's, it's triangles within triangles, right? So if you look at that and I said, my three prong approach was third, third, third. Okay. You're pulling that triangle in different ways. When you have a basis for like the John Wooden, this is a low end, this is this, you get in that, you end at elite, right? 
Well, how do you regress and go back down? Because a triangle really doesn't allow you for that, right? Where in a fractal-based Sierpinski triangle, when you look at that, you see just a bunch of triangles going up. But then when you refocus, you can see these triangles going back down. And when you pull it up and you look at it and you take it and you digest it, you can really apply that to anything. You can twist it and turn it. Whereas, and I'm not saying John Wooden had a bad philosophy, but if his base was this and this and this, and he got to an elite coach, when you turn it sideways, are you working to the left, are you working to the right? It just doesn't make sense. Whereas if you look at just the basics of Serpinski's triangle and you do turn it sideways, it stays the same, right? You're just focusing on a different aspect that goes up, down, and or left and right. Um, and so understanding that simple concept and going into that, you can apply strength. You work your way up, you work your way lateral, left and right. But once you get to the top and you're crushing whatever program that is for, I guess for your guys' sake, for you guys' program, your guys' bedrock, you work way up, whatnot, Jack Street, whatever, you go through and you get to this, which is, you know, elite level, high level athlete training, whatever, very specific. Well, how do you go back down? Well, you tilt it, you turn, maybe you flip it upside down, maybe you regress back down and you end up back at bedrock, right? And, but how do you apply that to someone or how in, in, in like less than no words, how do you apply that? Or how do you teach that? That's kind of what I've been the past. I'm not going to say I'm researching this, but I kind of under knowing unbeknowing to myself, I, I am, I'm picking these books. Uh, I have wrote out about 11 chapters ish and chosen all these symbols. And Chris and I have talked about this a lot, but that's just, you know, the direction that I am looking personally for that. Um, and there's many other ones, you know, you can keep it nutrition, for, for example. Um, if you understand plus, minus, and equals, you understand nutrition, right? So you eat too much, you're going to get fat. If you're not eating enough, you're going to, you know, get skinny. If you're maintaining, that's the same thing as our three program. You're either a leaner, gainer, maintainer, one of the three right? These kids want to know, they want to be put into a bucket when they come here, what they know simple, right? They don't want to know my keto, my this, whatever, low carb, whatever. Okay. I'm going to start simple. If you understand plus minus and equals, you're a leaner gainer maintainer. All right. We're going to work from there. Do you understand this? Yes. All right. Let's move on. Right. Kind of that work backwards. Kind of the, but you guys, you know, taking it, you know, figuring out what this simple aspect is, what I can teach, what I can learn and then working, re-engineering, reverse engineering, working back. Um, and so most of the, those are the books that I'm reading, I guess, I guess right now and going back long, sorry to drag that out for quite some time, but I, I am getting, I do get passionate about that because I do think there's a lot of, uh, like you guys say, the battle and the bullshit out there, right? So, you know, there's strength coaches out there that are reading all of these books, all this shit, you know, all these numbers and percentages and all this stuff. But at the end of the day, they don't know how to pull a kid up and bring him back down. They just know how to get through this program and then type in another equation with another new number and get it. And, and again, I'm not just, I'm not discrediting any of that. I'm just saying, I think there is for me, um, how my brain works. If I understood that simple symbol from there, then I could go through and understand a thousand different things out of that. Well, it know? answers, it answers the question of what's next. Cause I think, Man, uh, Lane Norton, maybe going back to nutrition, he was 
you know, he was on maybe maybe it was a Rogan podcast. I can't remember. Maybe it was one of his own. I, but had mentioned, you know, a fail point for weight loss is sustaining because there's no diet after the diet, right? No. But at the, it, and it's just, I guess you just kind of forget that there is there's eventually a, well now what directive, and yeah. uh, if you don't have a model that accounts for that sustainability. Yeah, I think that uh, it becomes short-sighted or incomplete, right? Or provides an area for uh, for improvement. But no, it's pretty interesting to like I'm the visual. I'm I'm digging the visual. Yeah, that's what. So most, I guess, most people when they look like your guys is uh, most people can't see this, but I've been drinking from the Power Athlete Cup and the Wade's Army Cup, so plug in that. But also too, I don't bow to any sponsors, yeah. but I got. Uh, power athlete uh, shirt on but um you know when you guys look at this symbol like what you created like this is a great symbol so when people see this they see the skull they see the crack they know instantly they don't you don't have to read anything you look at that you know this is what these guys are about this is what they're trying to do um you know and you know they're, they're vibrating on my frequency you know they understand me you know you can go and have these other quirky conversations on the outside but at the end of the day we still are friends we still understand and that's what you want to attach yourself with and i shouldn't say it's branding per se because that's another it, it is a brand but also it isn't you know it's a yin and yang type of thing where it's like and if you understand the yin and yang symbol there's many many articles written about that stuff you know you got to strengthen you got to have recovery like if you understand both of those, you can apply that to a lot of different symbols. Um, you know, and, uh, yeah, that's, you know, every time Chris and I come back, that's, those are the good conversations that, that we have. Um, because, you know, he, like I, like I said earlier, like he's one degree away from everybody that I want to talk to and I want to learn from, but he's actually learning from them. So when he comes back, I ask him more questions than he asks, he asked me really. Um, and yeah. It's good stuff. Oh yeah, spread the knowledge for sure, man. It, so many. I got. I got, took a lot of notes. I think one of the biggest ones that I want to highlight, I guess, as we're wrapping up, you train them to leave. Man, mm-hmm. that's just a a solid note that I don't. I don't guess I don't hear often enough. And there, believe it or not, there's a hell of a lot more four year strength coaches in the industry or lifetime coaches. Right. So it then just the one and done's, but train them to lead, prepare them for that moment in which you are not there. I actually had a note uh, written down here. I don't know, Luke, you got married last summer, right? Yeah. Um, I was going to at summer strong 11, say this, I hope uh, Jen oh. wider is uh, uh, going to be <laughs> there. But uh, when she wrapped up her presentation, I was going to stand up and she, if she asked if there's any questions and I was going to write, uh, Yes, would you go to uh, uh, Luke Summers' wedding with uh, Tex McQuilkin? Mm-hmm. And don't put her on the spot and see if she could actually go to the wedding. So I had this written down, and I honestly it out. But uh, she has a presentation this year. I don't think so, right? She doesn't? I don't know. I'm not sure, but yeah, I remember having that. That's my mission, Tex. <laughs> this is it right here. So well, you're talking about the thing, because I knew you were going to bring up the NASM thing. Yeah. This is written down. We are getting you a date. Yeah, okay. I'll put it on my vision board. Now, I did technically ask her. So, Luke, you're going to have to get married again. No, that's all right. Yeah. You guys can come to the whatever anniversary dinner. Oh, what, are you, what are you supposed to do? I don't know. Hey, you should come to our wedding. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> hey, 
Yeah. <laughs> oh man, that was fucking awesome. What a great, yeah. More antics. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're not going to Summer Strong, shame on you. Shame. We're going to be there. Mike's going to be there. Absolutely. You want to get jiggy? You want to talk? You want to talk fucking wild shapes that represent everything in a perpetual <laughs> motion of improvement? Well, I mean, everything yeah. is everything. Mike Hill. Mike Hill's the guy. But Mike, did you read Psycho Cybernetics or did you just hand that off? Christina. I have, I have not. Christina Dude. got it before me. Christina got it before me. I have, I'm actually, uh, I had, I took a quick break. I'm reading the way of the knife right now. Um, and that's a uh, military military book. Um, and I just read before that. Well, I read your book um, in, in between that. But uh, the, to the last breath is a Georgetown physics physics professor that set out to climb every mountain and, and surf every uh, uh, ocean. But uh, those two books, I took a little break from the uh, frequency and vibration. I think I was wigging my wife out a little bit too much, uh, trying to get trying to get her to uh, change what music she listens to and all that stuff. But yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, thanks. Thanks again, Mike. Yeah, man. Man. Appreciate, no problem, appreciate yeah. the time as always. Uh, and if these ladies and gentlemen, you know, our five, six, seven listeners, my parents, my aunt and uncle, uh, if they want to reach out and track you down, what's a, a great way to get in contact with you or just keep, you know, keep their finger on your pulse through social. Yeah, I guess, uh, you know, I, I'm, I uh, have my Instagram at license underscore two underscore hill um you know it's public now so i've kind of went full retard on that but um then i have my twitter at license to underscore to underscore hill um but those are the only i guess two things that i have plus my email my georgetown email um you can look it up at guhoyas.com but other than that if you respond to me i'm definitely going to respond back so um try and hold on to that take advantage people if you're out there you need some some guidance battle-tested bro Mike Hill everybody thanks again man thanks Mike see you in a couple weeks (laughs) now it's time for you to empower your performance okay so I'm gonna play a little of the off well offline online conversation that Mike was having with the fellas after the podcast concluded Um, he's talking specifically in this about power athlete radio and he's also talking about the power athlete methodology training manual and we were super flattered by some of the things that he was saying and I just couldn't help but put it out there yeah are we tooting our own horn absolutely can you technically fast forward through this definitely Um, but I hope you give it a listen No, no, no. Thank you for it. Honestly, I mean, I have my, you know, list of podcasts that I've listened to and it actually ruined my life for quite some time to where a point where I was like, holy shit, the, the space in between, I can't get enough of this stuff. And so I had to stop, um, listening. So I originally listened to, I think the first 50 of your guys is, um, at one point and then I had stopped for a while and then I'm trying to retroactively go back and listen to them. But I have a lot, a list of about six podcasts. I, I think you see it. I'll put it on my social, like social media, like which ones I'm listening to next. Um, but like the stuff, honestly, the stuff and the reach that you guys from podcasts, you know, the early ones where it was kind of like you guys, Steve, Steve, some, somebody, I forgot. Yeah, Steve Plattick and Denny K. Yeah. 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 From back. And so like, having those guys to like what you guys are doing now, like obviously it's an honor to be on there. So on, on here, but like all the stuff, people that you're going from what Tex and I had talked about, like when I listened to Peter Sage, I like fucking had to pull over my car. 
Like I was like, dude, that guy's the way his way with words and the way he answered your questions. Like I'm all over the place. Um, try and dial it back in. And then I come up to an abrupt end. So you, I mean, when you hear, hear the podcast, that's what it's going to happen <laughs> is I, I'll talk and talk and then just stop. And I'm like, fuck that 12 minute conversation just ended at the appropriate average 12 minute conversation. Like when you go to parties, that's what they say, 12 minutes. And then the, it stops and then starts a new conversation. But like the honestly, the people that you guys have had on, from like Tate Fletcher to those Jay Dawes, retarded, smart, like referencing him in the book, like the many times that you've had Ralph on, you know, Zach, like the stuff that you guys are doing and compiling. Um, and I've listened to a lot of podcasts, like is no one else is really doing that and compiling those conversations and going outside the parameters. And now not just getting strength coaches, but getting doctors, nutrition, I mean, people outside the parameter like a Peter Sage, right? Uh, like other that, and then try and try and relate it to, you know, strength and conditioning or the power athlete. I think, I think it's great. Cause I think a lot, you know, there's a lot of podcasts who just literally talk to their buddies or talk to the next gym owner or the next person. And you end up with a lot of the same conversation all the time. Um, you know, and, and, uh, that's obviously hats off to you guys and what you're doing. Appreciate and, it, man. Um, you know, I guess majority, you know, the majority of the time, like getting your personalities, it's funny, like listening to Chris now, you know, with his, uh, funny little dynamite drop-ins. Boom. Um, it's called the ninja. <laughs> ninja bombs. From the early age, don't take this the wrong way, Chris, but early days of being like a data type of a Star Trek data person where he's on a mission directive or whatever to now just like being actually generally really funny. Like when I'm listening to shit, sometimes I'm like, boom. I told you it was pronounced data. Data. Data was a character on Star Trek. And then obviously, Luke, you keeping it together, being the party pleaser, you know, coming out, you know, everybody wants to, you know, you kind of keep it rolling with all the questions and taking it in a different direction that you would, you know. Um, And then then hearing, obviously, John's experiences and relating, because he obviously knows fucking everybody in the world. He's trained. Apparently, Danny DeVito, as we just learned for the first time this morning. So, (laughs) really unbelievable. Never heard that one. (laughs) The funny thing is, is he played that like I was gonna uh, tell him. I don't think the last time I met him, he played with one of the guys who who I know, um, Casey Wegman at the uh, uh, Kansas City Chiefs. So, you have to ask him about Casey, but the Iowa guys and most of the linemen that came out of Iowa, you know, during his age, you know, I probably ran around with or hung around with. So, you know, the one degree of separation, two degrees of separation is pretty much, you know, it's, it's, I guess right there, but hearing, I was listening to, uh, you know, and doing my own research and my craziness, like having my notes and things for you guys, all the stuff that I need and need to say, or think you guys are going to ask me and shit like that or whatever it is. Um, uh, I was listening to his uh, uh, Jay Ferugia uh, uh, podcast just just earlier and just hearing just the little things and a lot of stuff that he's done and how he's trying to pull it all together. And I think, honestly, I feel Texas, like the, the book that you guys, but I think it's great, like starting with this book, hitting with it, getting it out there, throwing it out there. Um, and honestly, I can't wait for level two. I actually read this book from really cover to cover when I first got it. And then I went back through it and uh, put little sticky notes and, you know, every time there was a little zinger in there, um, I just circled it and wrote message. Like, uh, 
like uh what is that uh don't be a menace to society while drinking the gin and juice in your hood when that guy comes around and hits a little bell but uh like here as it receives most attention when building strength programs, I just, boom, message, just wrote it in there. Like, just to, for me, a way to disseminate, like, what uh, what is being said, how you guys are saying it, like, is totally different than, than a normal academic book. And I think that's your guys' way of, like, connecting with those people and bringing them in and, like you said, making it more digestible for them rather than it's just straight lines. Like when I first read it, I read it cover to cover straight. I mean, straight. It wasn't a stop, like, boom, I'm putting this book down and it's going to stay down there. It's a normal textbook. It was obviously 10 chapters. You can read it real quick. You can go back in, you can dive back, you can reference different things. Um, and it's, it makes you laugh. Like there's funny, funny stuff to it. So, um, yeah, that's why I had to, I had to put it, I, I reread it again um, and highlighted everything and went through it again and, um, and put it on the book club because I figured that, you know, like Tex said, you were going to ask me some questions about that. But. Well, appreciate it, man. It's a good feedback. Yeah. You heard it here first, folks. A podcast that was so good, it, quote, ruined his life. I want to see that on the iTunes review. Thanks again to Mike Hill for all the kind words. If you'd like to get in touch with him, check him out on Instagram, license underscore the number two underscore hill, and on Twitter at license the word two underscore hill. Until next time, bye!